Hello there, everybody. I'd like to welcome you all to this, the SWORP podcast. And also like to especially welcome Dr. Lauren Valdis, our Medical Director of Education. Lauren's here with us today, taking time out of her busy schedule to discuss the who, what, where, when, and why of PIC line and CVAT access. So Lauren, welcome. It's always nice to have you here with us. Thanks so much, Duane. It's always a pleasure to be here and really fun to get to do these podcasts for you guys. So, you know, Lauren, IV access is always a hot topic, right? Like who gets the line? Who doesn't? When should I start that line? When should I just get the heck out of Dodge? Like, you know, get off scene. I was born and raised in the country. So anyway, and then sometimes we get into these calls and we see that there's like a CVAD or a PIC line. Uh, so we can access that and then thoughts start running through our heads going like, I really need this line. I want to access the CVAD or the PIC line. And there seems to be a bit of hesitancy. And I mean, rightfully so, with just kind of jumping in and grabbing an established access point. So, you know, these things have been put in place either surgically or under ultrasound to ensure their long-term use. Now, this in mind, let me start the bowl rolling by making sure that all the listeners out there know the current IV access directive. So, the intravenous and fluid medical directive states an IV can be started for the actual or potential need for fluid and or medication administration. Now, one can argue that anyone could receive IV fluids, but let me ask you what an attempt means for the listeners out there. What does medical counsel define as an IV attempt? Is it like an actual poke or what do you think it is? And Duane, that's an excellent question. So what sport medical counsel defines as an IV attempt is at least applying a tourniquet, looking for and feeling for a vein, so that true palpation. If there are none, then this needs to be documented clearly on the ACR, something like applied tourniquet, no veins seen or palpated. This lets us know exactly what happened on your call and why you took the actions you did. If you've already had your MCME for 2022, then you already know about the Bob Ross happy little treats. (laughs) So I'll reference that again and make sure to uh, paint those happy little trees for us. Let us know exactly what happened on scene and what your IV attempt included, that it failed, and then what your next steps were. Dwayne, what would happen if someone were to fail to document this IV attempt? Well, as from auditing, from the auditing perspective, we kind of send you, people get a love letter. That's how I term it as a <laughs> love letter, a love note from base hospital. It's not meant to be anything bad. It's just more like we're looking for clarity as to why something was or was not done. And in this case, why an IV was not considered or if it wasn't attempted. And then what was what we find and what has occurred. And then before moving on to a more, I don't know, more, I wouldn't say aggressive, but more of a almost disciplinary approach. And I don't like using that term, but, but just to review it and, you know, we try to document as clearly as we possibly can. And we think about IV therapy. So the first thing is, you know, get that tourniquet on, right? Make sure it's applied and that document, if there's no veins seen or palpated, that's okay. You can't see them, can't feel them. That's all right. And then to piggyback on this as an ACP, Uh, Myself, we are all allowed to attempt and obtain access in a couple other ways. One of the ways is central venous access device or to initiate an interosseous line. That's great, Dwayne. Thanks so much for that excellent overview of the IV access or should I say like venous access. (laughs) As a quick review, when should these higher level accesses be considered? So... When I think about this, we I try to recall that these higher level axes should only be utilized 
when they're pre-arrest or in cardiac arrest when you cannot get that IV, it's unobtainable. So like if nothing else is working, then move forward with that. And we've covered what IV access unattainable is. As a quick reminder, you apply to Turtokey and no veins were seen or palpated. Now we're going to focus on the CVAT axis since that's the topic of this podcast. So Lauren, is it wrong or let me use the words frowned upon to go right to a CVAD or a PIC line as an ACP when the patient's in cardiac arrest? Now, I can't speak for the rest of my ACP colleagues out there, but you know, if I'm there and I have the ability to hook up and go, it is quite tempting to just do that, like hook up to that CVAD or PIC line and get out of there. And we know that that line is pain. We know it's dumping the drug and the fluid right in the circulatory system. And I guess, let me kind of come back to my original question. Can we just go to the CVAD or the PIC line instead of doing all the steps, putting the tourniquet on, looking and feeling for veins, and then trying an IO or two? Like, is that an acceptable practice if we rationalize it and document it properly? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Dwayne, I think as you put it, that central access may seem very tempting. But there are reasons that jumping to utilizing the CVAD is not always beneficial to the patient. For example, the line may be out of service and not functioning. Mm. The line may have become infected. So maybe that sepsis from the infected line is the cause for their arrest or peri-arrest state. And utilizing the line can also introduce air embolism, infection, and cause hemorrhage. In summary, jumping to utilizing this CVAD line may cause the patient harm. If the patient is in peri-arrest or arrest state, you cannot always get the information regarding the status of the line or what exactly has happened from them. Therefore, best practices are to first attempt an IV as we've discussed. Again, tourniquet on and visualize or palpate to see if you can find that superficial vein. And if we get there and there's no vein seen or palpated, what do we, how do we progress? Then it's quite reasonable to go ahead and use that higher level access. Oh, and please document what happened and why IV access was unattainable. Oh, perfect. Well, thanks for the clarity on that. That, that kind of makes things a little more clear. Now, there will be a discussion from my PCP medics out there about the same thing. Can they access these types of lines in the setting of a pre-arrest or cardiac arrest patients? Now, as a PCP who is IV certified, um, it's, it's not required. They don't have to, it's not required to do that in any way, shape or form to provide venous access in the setting of a cardiac arrest patient as the directives currently stand. But what about the trauma patient who's alive or the really, 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 really sick patient who let's say is deemed septic or severely hypotensive? Currently the directives do not allow for this type of access for PCPs. Will there ever be a point in the future that this may change? And what are your thoughts on this? And I know that clairvoyance is not part of our thing here, but <laughs> feel free to comment. Yes, you are correct, Duane, that accessing a CVAD device is outside the scope of PCP practice. Such care requires both initial training and continuous CME on this type of topic for the procedure. Although, as you're all likely aware, there's talk of midazolam and opiates coming into play in the future for PCP scope. This will only be after an approval of increased training, funding, and time from the ministry at both the college initial training as well as continuous CME commitment. So what this means is that it's a ways away. And remember, that's with regards to the midazolam and the opiates that everybody kind of already knows a little bit about. When it comes to CVAD access, it's currently not on the radar as scope for PCP. 
Okay, so ACP then uh, only for the foreseeable future. Just ACPs are able to access that. You got it. And Dwayne, can you take us through a quick review of CVAT access? Yeah, sure. That That's a good idea. Um, you know, the CVAT is something we just don't do a lot of. And as a reminder, the procedure and ability to do this is dependent on what type of port you have, like external versus internal, and if you have the correct gear to get this thing accessed. That's a really great point, Dwayne. Let's take a second and talk about this. What is an external port? So that you can see basically outside of the skin, right? Right. Right. And so this is different than the internal port that requires special equipment. So a Hubner needle, which I don't believe any of our services carry. Also, a quick note that the ALS PCS 5.0, so coming out February 1st, 2023, we believe, although the official date has not been officially stated at the timing of this recording, that is all the good intel that we have, mm -hmm. that the access will only be for external ports. Okay. So coming ALS PCS 5.0 time, it'll only be for external ports. The internal port component will be removed. But since all of our services do not carry the equipment necessary in order to obtain an internal port for mm -hmm. today, we're just going to be talking about the external or visible ports. Okay, perfect. So let's talk about that procedure for accessing the CVAD, the external ports only. So we start looking at these things and it can get confusing because there's so many things out there. So we look at the external port. We identify the type of CVAD access. So we take a look at this. Then we have that empty 10 ml syringe. And it's, it's not a bad idea to also draw up a second uh, 10 ml syringe with normal saline. Okay. Ensure the lumen is the one you're accessing or to be accessed is clamped off. So we want to swab that connection area, the adapter, like we want to make sure that's sterile before we do anything. We remove the PRN adapter from the lumen, exposing that lure lock-in, connect the empty syringe to the lumen, then unclamp it, and then using sterile technique, kind of pull back about three to five mils or cc's of blood from the lumen that you wish to use. And so... What that does, that pulls out, if there's instilled heparin, it's going to pull that out. And that essentially keeps the system closed. So from there, we're going to clamp the lumen, disconnect that syringe used to aspirate the blood. So we're going to take that. And it's not a bad idea just to kind of label that, you know, and say, hey, this is the possibly the heparin. Then we're going to take the other syringe that we have with the saline, and we're going to inject about two mils or two cc's of normal saline, then pull back one or two uh, mils or cc's and visualize blood return to ensure that line is painted. Then flush the remaining saline back into the system. Now, if resistance is met, assume that that lumen is obstructed and repeat the procedure for the second lumen. If it's a dual port, that's the thing. If there's a second lumen, if it exists. And then alternately push a couple mils of saline, pause, push two mils and then continue to flush until it's all delivered. Slow and steady kind of wins the race with this stuff. Now, once the patency has been confirmed, reclamp the lumen, disconnect our syringe, attach your IV bag with the tubing to the lumen, unclamp it, run the line at the appropriate rate, ensure there are no air bubbles in there. Uh, in the syringe, the IV tube and your C-band. This, this, is, this is imperative. So ensure that IV tubing is well secured to the CVAD and to the patient and we uh, want to think about accepting an emergency situation other IV access should be sought first there's always risks of complications either dangerous for the patient so you know we gave an inadvertently a heparin bolus uh, from the instilled uh, heparin in each lumen 
Um, you know, that's post-dialysis. There could be infection, an air embolism, or jeopardizing the, the catheter by blocking it or inducing some type of infection. Well, Dwayne, thank you so much for that awesome step-by-step. For the listeners there, if you want to review and want a visual check for all of those steps, check out the podcast site for the text and associated visuals that go along with um, this podcast. Shows you what an internal versus an external port is. And remember, we're only accessing the external here um, because ALS PCS, it's going to 5.0, it's going to change to external only. And we currently don't carry the Hubner needle, which you would need in order to safely access the internal port now in today's 4.9 times. So make sure to check out those references on the podcast site to help supplement this audio. Okay. Now, and just thanks, Lauren. That's awesome. And just a quick tidbit. For external CVAD, if there's more than two lumens or ports, we were always taught in ACP school, go to the blue one, blue means vein, try that one first. That's what we've, most of us, pretty much all of us have been taught. Gotcha. And Dwayne, just to highlight there real quick, that if it is an external port, that if there's multiple colors, if there's white or red, it doesn't mean that that is a nerve or an artery. They should all be as part of a CVAD. They should all be veins. But okay. if you're trying to pick a color to go to, blue equals vein. Blue is good, so right? I just wanted to highlight that if it's a CVAD access port, that they truly are all venous access. Yeah. And I think the big thing is, is an aseptic technique. And remember, swab, hook up, unclamp, pull out 10 mils of blood first. You make sure we aspirate because that's, we want to get that heparin out of there if there's heparin in there, correct? You nailed it by reviewing why it's really important to aspirate there. So as we talked about heparin, so that's a blood thinner. So it's instilled in the catheter just to make sure that it doesn't get clotted off. However, we don't want to be shooting a bolus <laughs> of heparin into uh, the human. Yeah. We just want it to do its job. We don't want it to do extra things for us. And additionally, as you mentioned, we want to make sure there's no air bubbles in the tubing because that can cause an air embolus and it can essentially cause a stroke or heart attack similar to a plaque if the mm. air bubbles land in either the heart or the brain. Now we know that this is a, a lot to listen to so don't forget to check out the visuals and resources on the podcast page such as the different ports, what the Hubner needle looks like although we now know that the services don't carry it but just to see exactly what it looks like it's kind of like this funny looking electrical yeah, port yeah. almost. Um, and where different pick lines are located <clears throat> internally and anatomically. Another great resource is the OBHG or the Ontario Based Hospital Group companion document that actually lists the procedural details in the appendix there. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's good. We, we just don't access these, you know, and there's sometimes it gets confusing. You get into these arrest situations and you think, I need to pull out the drill. Man, they got a port right there. So I, I think that's good for everybody out there, including myself. So when we get to those patients, unless nothing else is there, nothing else is working, then then roll to that. And yeah. Dwayne, I think those are excellent parting words as to where this topic came from. So why are we talking about it? Well, there's this tempting thing here that we can access. When should we access it? So hopefully it answered all of your questions on CVAD. And Dwayne, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. So everybody, you guys take care and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.